Today, um, I'll be filling in for a couple of weeks for Dad, and so I have been working on a series for a long time, um, and I'm very excited to finally get to preach my series this morning on if Disney was a pastor, if Walt Disney was a pastor. And so uh, before we start, Nick, we have a video that we're going to show. So I'm excited to, uh, this is a four-part series um, we'll be talking about, If Walt Disney Was a Pastor. Um, I have no way claiming to be as creative as the man behind the mouse. Let's just get that out. (laughs) I have no way, uh, but I would like to channel some of his work over the next few weeks to help us see the Word of God in a different way. Uh, When Jesus taught, he taught often using parables and stories. And those stories and parables were things that were familiar to people. And for many people in in our society, uh, there are a few things as familiar as these classic Disney stories. And so um, we are going to be using those as a way of looking at God's word and understanding God's word. During each week of the series, we're going to take a look at a different story, um, but from a biblical perspective. Can Disney movies teach us anything about faith? I believe they can. And to help me introduce today's movie, I'm going to invite my wife, Megan, to help me. She's a little nervous, and I'll admit I am too. Do you need a drink? (laughs) No, yes. Nick, I'm going to switch to the blue mic. All right. There will be more, just not today. With, uh, so as you can guess, uh, today our, our story that I've chosen as um, the springboard for this series is actually the, the movie that inspired this series. I told Megan I have an entire sermon series on just the movie Beauty and the Beast. But in order to be fair to some of the other franchises, I've, I've decided to include them um, Oh, darn it. Hold on a second here. Um, I've decided to include some others. So um, within all of life and the stories of it, there are divine narratives. Uh, Storylines that, while told a thousand different ways, are just the same story with new characters. Uh, These divine narratives are things like redemption, sacrifice, or overcoming insurmountable odds. Uh, you'll see these in, in movies and books and all across in every story we tell about a campfire. There are certain themes that resurge in almost all of our stories. And, and, and the reason for these divine narratives is that they are at the core of what it means to be human. These storylines transcend cultures, races, backgrounds, politics, and every other aspect of who we are created to be. Throughout this series, we will take, we will find the divine narrative within some Disney films, and we're going to use those to help us understand scripture. Mind you, these stories were not told as perfect spiritual allegories, um, but they do each contain something that speaks to us as more than just entertainment. 
And today we are looking at one of my favorite Disney films, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, my daughter's middle name is Belle. That is not a coincidence. Um, she is, yes, she is directly named after this princess um, because this is a great story, but it is a story that, com- that really, if we look at it through a different light, we can really begin to understand who we are in Christ using this story. Our, our scripture, our main scripture text today is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It says this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For those of you that may be uh, not as familiar with the story as I am, let's recap Beauty and the Beast, the movie. A young girl, beautiful, brave, and intelligent, finds herself in the captivity of a ferocious beast. But he always wasn't. He wasn't always a beast. He was once a human and found himself under a curse. This curse has affected the entire castle in which he lives. The only way to break the spell is for him to fall in love and for that love to be returned. It truly is a tale as old as time. It was at the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden that mankind found itself under a curse, a curse that infected all of creation. What was once perfect and beautiful had been twisted into a vicious and selfish creature. You need only watch a few minutes of the news to discover just how twisted and perverse humanity has become. We are, in every sense of the word, beastly. And it is within that beastliness, that ugliness, that God saw fit to send his son into the world. Into that chaos, God sent his son. Jesus, an image of perfection, entered this accursed world and treated us with kindness, a kindness we had not earned and did not deserve. And it is through that kindness and love that we are drawn to him. He is different. Now, if you haven't caught on yet, let let me just bring you up to speed For the rest of our purposes today, we are the beast, and Jesus is the beauty. He, Belle, playing the part of Belle today, is Jesus. Yay! But he entered this world. He found us in our ugliness. He found us in our beastliness. And we, as humanity, we're drawn to him. Jesus, this, the beauty is the embodiment of everything we desire to be. With him, we feel as if there are no, we, we feel as if we are no longer the cursed beast living in the confines of an enchanted castle. You may remember the very, um, very uh, beautiful, beautifully animated and just the music behind it is that song we sang, Beauty and the Beast, where they're dancing in the ballroom. And in that moment of that dance, the beast 
had been showered and he had been uh, he had been taught or reminded how to how to dance a waltz. He's been placed into a suit, a tuxedo, a, a, a fancy outfit of some sort. And in that moment, you almost forget as he's dancing with Belle, you almost forget that he's a beast. In that moment, you see him, the echo of the man he once was. You see a foreshadow of the man he could be. You almost forget. We see that Belle almost forgets that he's a beast. But he still is. He still is. Uh, and here's the part many of us miss, is we still are. We are still the beast living in the, enchant- in the confines of an enchanted castle. You, me, and all of mankind are still an ugly beast. We still have outbursts of rage. We still say hurtful things about others. We still lust. We still covet. We are still beastly. You see, you can bathe a beast and put him in a fancy suit. You can teach him how to properly use a spoon, how to dance a waltz, or you can teach him how to take the hand of a lady. But he, like us, our righteousness is but filthy rags. You can do everything you want to dress it up, but still underneath the suit and underneath the manners is a beast. Excuse a somewhat crude analogy. I promise you it's less crude than the other one I was going to use. But, uh, but we are just air freshener in a stinky bathroom. <laughs> Listen, everyone in here knows if you spray air freshener in the bathroom, it just smells like a stinky bathroom plus air freshener. <laughs> you know, when, when we think of the word gentleman, uh, we all have probably a, a kind of a... a a type of guy in mind. We, he's such a gentleman. We think of someone who is mannerly, maybe who dresses well, um, a little, maybe a little bit refined. Um, the word gentleman has come to mean a, a, a person of, a man of character. Uh, it is a, it is a, it is a um, description of character. But it actually once meant something different. Uh, the word gentleman once meant a man who owned land but wasn't of nobility meaning he wasn't a lord or a baron or you know and all that stuff that they have uh, but he owned land so he was a it was a classification system uh it actually i think it kind of originated out of the military uh ranks and in, in the old in the old english but it actually was a it was not a description of character it was a title it was a title uh you could be a very good gentleman, chivalrous and all the things that accompany such, or you could be a bad gentleman. You could be terribly, terrible. You could be awful to people. You could be a brutal man and still be a gentleman. It was not a description of your character. Um, and I'm afraid the term Christian has become a similar distinction. Christian loosely defines a person. You can be a good Christian or a bad Christian. You need only claim you believe in Jesus. And you don't even actually have to believe in anything he said. You just have to say, yep, I'm sure. (laughs) But Christian 
actually means something. It's not a family you're born to or a nation you grew up in. It's not even a, it's not a book you have read at some point in your life or a Bible story you've learned. It's not, um, it's, it, 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 is a, it is a word that in its origin means Christ-like. And if we are truly like Christ, we cannot be the same old beast that we've always been. You can't claim to be a beauty while living as a beast. But there is at the end of beauty and the beast and throughout all of scripture, a way the curse can be lifted. Does anybody know what the secret is to lifting the curse? Wrong. That's what he says. Love, it's true love's kiss. Oh. But we know that Belle loved the beast and he loved her long before he was turned back into a man. And we know that God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still beastly, while we were still sinners, he died for us. So we know that love, while important, is not the answer. It's much more macabre, unfortunately. It's death. Love is not the secret of lifting the curse. It's death. Uh, In order to truly break the curse of sin... In order to no longer be a beast, in order to find ourselves in a relationship with our Savior that lasts ever after, we must die to ourselves. We must find ourselves in a place where the beast dies. In order for the beast to become a man, the beast had to die. And the man had to be born again because he had already been born once. And you see, this is a brilliant analogy. Thank you. When a caterpillar uh, goes through the process of becoming a butterfly, it forms around itself a chrysalis. Um, And it, it, it tucks itself into this chrysalis. And it releases enzymes inside the chrysalis. Digestive enzymes, the kind of stuff that digests food. And those enzymes are released into this small chrysalis. And what does it do? Lo and behold, it digests the caterpillar. He literally eats himself while inside the cocoon. And his body is turned into this gel-like substance that is neither caterpillar nor butterfly nor anything in between. This is not like a frog. When a frog metamorphosizes, is metamorphosizes a word? Because if not, it should be. But when a frog goes through the process of metamorphosis or metamorphosizes or it's morphin time, uh, when it gets any of that, it's a tadpole. It's a tadpole. The legs grow gradually. The tail gradually shrinks. It, it's a process that you can, you, can, you can see the stages of his metamorphosis. But when a caterpillar goes through the process of metamorphosis, it is not a caterpillar that suddenly sprouts wings and, and all of these things. No, it actually is completely and totally reformed. In fact, while it's digesting into this, if you were to cut open a chrysalis at just the right time, you would get caterpillar soup. It's delicious. Just kidding, I never had it. But, uh, but there are, the only thing that stays intact, the only thing that is not completely just boiled down into raw material is these things called uh, imaginal discs. Um, and 
the imaginal discs are actually formed inside the caterpillar while it is still an egg. And so these are things that, before it is even born into the world, these are the blueprints for what it's destined to be. And as it goes through the process of metamorphosis, the only thing that is not destroyed is the imaginal disc. These are the things that stay intact so that as the material is reforming and reshaping inside of the chrysalis, the imaginal discs are the things that guide the process to make sure that when it emerges from the chrysalis, it is in fact a butterfly and not caterpillar soup. Likewise, in a similar way, when we were, before we were formed in our mother's womb, God knew our design. It's through the process of salvation and sanctification that we become who we are meant to be. And let me tell you, we are not meant to be a beast. We are not meant to be driven by beastly things. We are not meant to be carnal or in, in really in most senses, we're not meant to be, well, it's just, you know, he's just a man, she's just a woman. I'm just a human. That's a really easy excuse to make. Oh, I'm only human, but you're not. You're not. That's the beauty of it. There's an old song, Stephen Kirsch Chapman saying, he said, uh, they say it's only natural for me to act this way, but I have not been made only natural. We're not dogs, cats, trees, butterflies, bugs, birds. They're all natural and only so. They live, they die. The circle of life, wrong, wrong week, that's, that's coming up. <laughs> but you and I are created in the imago Dei, the image of God, Amen. created to, to live forever and into eternity. We are created not to be only natural. We're not created to live a subject to a curse of the world. We're created to set the world free from the curse. Amen. That's you and me. So all of these things that we struggle with, and we all struggle, yes. And we all make poor choices, yes. And we all, let's, Oh man, I'm going to say it. He's going to say the word. We all sin. That's right. Fire me now. I said it. We all sin. But that is not, that is not God's plan for your life. I'm a Christian, but I sin a little. No. I mean, you might, but don't be proud of that fact because pride is also a sin. Listen, the only way for the beast to become a human was for him to no longer remain a beast. And the only way for us to truly be recreated is for us to sacrifice our beastly nature. Paul says in, in uh, Corinthians, he says that in Christ we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has has come when we baptize people through immersion there's a reason we immerse there's a reason we don't just sprinkle and here is why because baptism symbolizes the death of the old beast buried in the ground and the resurrection the rebirth of a new creature and when you bury something in the ground you don't just sprinkle a little dirt on top and walk away because it'll, it'll smell It'll attract worse things like animals. You don't just sprinkle. You bury. And when we, when we die to ourselves, the beast is dead. We bury that beast, that sinful nature. And we say, nope, you're gone. You're, 
you are, put a tombstone on him, he is dead. No zombie resurrection apocalypse here. You're not coming out of the grave, old Jared. I know you want to. I know you're infected with the chemical 8976 that the next movie's gonna, I don't know, that's not, I just made that number up, but you know, it's, there's always something. And they do not. And in fact, when old Jared tries to zombie apocalypse me, do you know what I have to do every so often? I have to go over him in the head with a shovel. Okay, because the old is gone, the new has come. That is what baptism is, and that's why we immerse. That's, that's why we, we dunk all the way down and all the way back up because the old is gone, and the new has come. And we are a new creation. Now, if you've been baptized and you're still not acting new, maybe I'll dunk you a couple more times. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. It's symbolic. But uh, we have to die to our old selves. Uh, to let our old selves die as an offering to the one we love and to be recreated as we were designed by him. You have to understand that in, like in the movie Beauty and the Beast, in order for the beast to be a man with the woman he loves, he had to sacrifice himself. That's the moment. It's not when he fell in love with her. He, man, let, me just, let me just get real Disney geek. He let her go because he loved her. That was an act of love. And if love broke the curse, that would have done it, okay? She came back because she loved him. If love was the act that set him free, it would have happened when she decided to come back to the castle, but it didn't. It did not happen until he died, okay? Just, it does not happen. Jesus loves us, and we can say, I love you. You can come forward at any time, altar call, we're going to do that here in a minute. You can come forward and say, yes, I give my life to Jesus. But if you walk out of this place the same beast in a tuxedo, you are not changed. You are not set free. You're just a beast in a tuxedo who brushed his teeth this morning. Now, dying to self may look different for each of us. We all must change, but for some of us, that means walking away from things we truly love. People we love. Things that have been a part of our lives since childhood that we can't imagine living without. There was something that shaped my view of heaven that I, in that statement, years ago, someone said to me, if there is anything in your life that you can't imagine not being in heaven, you have made that thing an idol. And that shook me. Man, I just can't imagine going to heaven and not, you know, partying with my buds. If you can't imagine heaven without partying with your buds, if you can't, listen, if you can't imagine heaven without your spouse, I don't want to. But if, if, you're, if you're like, oh, if she ain't there, I don't want to go. Okay, you've made an idol out of your spouse. It's, it's a gut-riching thing when you really start to think about it. I can't imagine heaven without You've made that thing an idol. The only thing that matters. I have this, this thing. I've always wanted to do this skit with my brother because he's a good actor. And we come in and, and I walk in, the guy that died, and it's just a black room. And it's just pff, nothing and a coffee table. And like, or like a little table in the middle and two chairs. And I walk in and I'm like, ah, what's this place? And he's like, oh, this is heaven. I'm Jesus. Nice to meet you or something like that. You know? like, and I'm like, this is heaven? And where's like the streets of gold? He's like, ah, no, that's some, that's, 
misunderstanding. You know, where's the, where's the, where's the whatever, you know, like the mansion on the hilltop? What's up? No, no mansions. It's just a misunderstanding. It's all right. But this is it, man. It's me, Jesus, you, and an endless cup of coffee. And then the joke is, well, at least you got one thing, right? And, and then uh, the conversation ensues where I realize that heaven, if Jesus is the only thing there, none of my friends and family, none of the streets of gold or the mansions or any of that thing, if it, all it is is an eternal conversation with Jesus, that's perfect. And the beauty of it is scripture tells us that's not all it is. I'm not, I'm not advocating for this. I'm not saying this is, but what I'm saying is when you get Jesus, you get everything else thrown in. But if we go to heaven and all your friends and family are there and all the, the your friends and families are there and it's a great party and, and you're just hanging out, that ain't heaven. That's some people's interpretation of hell and they're wrong because fire and brimstone and eternal pain and torment doesn't sound like a party to me. But, uh, but heaven is this grand place, but our motivation needs to be one and only Jesus. Amen. And that needs to motivate us to the point that we change completely who we are at our core. Who we are needs to change. It has to change. And if there's anything in your life, maybe you've had it since childhood. Maybe it's been a, a, a habit or a choice that you've had ever since you were a kid, or uh, friends, or even family members. If there is something in your life that is holding you back from the complete and total change that God wants to make in your life, you have to be willing to sacrifice that for his sake. And it, I'm not pretending that that's easy for everybody. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that that was always an easy thing to do. I am promising you that is a worthy trade is a worthy trade. And as I've said over and over again, when we, when we change in Christ, it is more than just a superficial change. It is a necessary change of the core of who we are. I have learned a lot in my relatively short years. I mean, I'm only 33. Um, I've learned quite a bit about who I am at my core. And I had a really great upbringing uh, I am fortunate to be a man who grew up with both parents who still are married and in love, in love with each other. They're not just legally married, but they actually kiss each other and like it, even if I think it's gross. <laughs> they still want to, they, there are still times when I can't, you know, I can't call right, don't call, we're going out on a date. Don't bother us. We're dating, we're on a date tonight. That, you know, they, they still go on dates. And they've been married for 150 years. <laughs> and they still enjoy those dates. And I am very, very fortunate. I was raised to know who Jesus was. I was raised to fall in love with him. I was raised to know uh, the things that a, a Christian should and should not do. And why those things are beneficial to me. Not just, don't do that. It's, don't do that because I was, I was, I was, very blessed in my upbringing. And in my core, there are things about me that are just straight beast. 
and not in the good beast mode. I can lift a lot of weight, but in the bad way, like raging at my kids when they really didn't do anything wrong or, or uh, all of the other struggles that I have had over my life that um, I have had to deal with. And not all of those have been easy. In fact, most of them have not been. And there have been times when I have argued with my wife, myself, or my counselor and said, to change that is to change the core of who I am. And had to come with grips with the core of who you are stinks. And there's a better version of you in your imaginal discs. There's a better version of you that God created you to be. And you have to be willing to change who you are at your core. And then you have to understand that not everything about you is bad. Not everything about, you don't have to change, every, sometimes it'll feel like that. Do I have to, I said that once in counseling. Do I have to change everything? Just the bad stuff. But sometimes those feel so important. Those feel, so, ah, they, they have such a grip on us. And let me tell you, they do. And they will until you're willing to die completely and totally. I am not the husband today that I was 15 years ago almost. 14 plus, a couple of months. I am not that same husband. And if I was that same husband, my marriage would probably stink. Because I was not always, I was stupid, I was a teenager. I mean, literally, I was a teenager when we got married. So um, I made a lot of dumb mistakes. But I've changed who I am at my core. And as a Christian, we have to do that as well. If you honestly examine your own life, have you truly been transformed by the love of Christ? Or are you just a beast in a tuxedo? And when we talk about the fall of mankind and the curse of, upon it, it is an individual problem. You and I as individuals must surrender to the love of Christ in order to be set free. But it's also a universal problem. All of creation was affected and continues to be affected. And when we are set free, we are obligated to live our lives in such a way that brings the world into redemption. We must live as those set free in order to bring others into redemption. Imagine how ticked off all of his servants would have been if the beast would have got transformed and they would have all been stuck as teacups and broom handles and footstools. You know what I mean? No, our job as Christians, and we're actually going to talk about this on the fourth week of the series a little bit, um, but our job as Christians is to to bring the whole world and all of creation into redemption. So yeah, we got to get right here first but then we got to be on mission as well to redeem the world, that the world would be redeemed not through us, but through Christ whom we serve and whom we are like. Would you bow your heads with me? And I want to ask a simple question, and I hope you guys have understood the analogy today. I hope, you've, I hope it's unlocked some scripture for you in a way that you maybe haven't seen it before. But here's the question. Today, as you sit in your seat, if you're being honest with yourself, regardless of, of what you've done in the past, whether you've gone to church for a long time or not at all, if, if you're honest with yourself this morning, would you say, I'm a beast? You may look, may put on pretty makeup, cut your hair, but really at the heart, you're a beast. Or maybe you haven't even tried. Maybe you're still just a raging monster, just ah, doesn't care. And regardless of your, where you're at, as I've said over and over again, a beast is a beast. 
And a beast cannot be in a relationship with Jesus. Not a real one. Not an eternal one. And so this morning I ask you if you would say, yes, I, I, I feel very beastly, but I want to change at my core. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to let the beast die to become who it is that I'm created to be. And if that's you this morning, by a show of your hand, I want you to acknowledge that, yes, I'm willing to die to myself to let that beast die. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up this morning because I want to pray with you. You can put your hands down. You don't have to keep them up. Because God knows, God knows us and he loves you and he loves you. God, this morning, I thank you for those that are willing to admit, yes, I am, I am beastly. I've, I've done a lot of things my own way. I've tried to clean it up myself, but God, we recognize those filthy rags that we wear in front of a beautiful Savior like you. They're nothing. But God, if we're willing to die to ourself, we can walk in a beautiful relationship with you forever, for all of eternity. So I'm asking you this morning, for those that raise their hand, God, I'm asking you to help them to walk with you daily. I'm asking you to help them to truly change the core of who they are. God, for those, those habits they've allowed to form in their life, yes, it is not easy to break a habit, but it is doable because you have equipped our bodies and our minds and our spirits with the ability to overcome and become new. God, you make us new by, our, by your grace and by your Holy Spirit. So Lord, this morning I'm praying for a change in us and God, I'm praying that everyone in this room, as we, as we walk redeemed, as we walk in this world made new, made whole, made complete, Lord, that we will bring others along with us, that together we will set free the, we'll set free the people that we care about, those around us, those we come into contact with, that God, through you, through your word and your cleansing power, God, that we will see lives changed because of our testimony. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen. All right, come back next week for part two of If Disney Was a Pastor. <laughs>